Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Flight School Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Turner Medlicott, joined here today, as always, uh, by Adrian Walker and Jonah Lossie. Uh, how are we doing today, gentlemen? I said you your got, name right. Thank you got my name right that time. Um, I feel I was ready to roast you, though, so now I feel I'm compelled to anyway. Do you do you like did you drink? Uh, a pumpkin spice latte while you hung up your Christmas lights around your room? <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> All right, I'm doing well today. Thank you, Turner. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm i now having a better day just from seeing Turner say Jonah's name right for the first time. It's been three podcasts, but you know, we got it right. And so now we can move forward and only trend upwards from here. Exactly. Did I did I listen to the last episode like three times just to make sure I was going to get it right for this one? Potentially, but it's all good. We got there. Uh, but let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, and let's start, as always, uh, with the NFL. Um, last night, I think we had uh, undoubtedly probably uh, the game of the year uh, in the NFL, the Browns and Ravens game. Um I know Adrian tuned into it late. Jonah, how much of the game did were you able to see? Well, I I was didn't watch any of it until my insomnia hit me and realized that you guys were texting about it. I was like, well, I guess I have to watch it now and ruin my sleep for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, so I I guess since I'm the only one, I'll set the stage. Um, I mean, it was really a back and forth game. I want to say it was. Um, 21-14 uh, Ravens at the half, uh, and then it became 28-14 Ravens, and it kind of looked like the Ravens could put it, put it away in the second half. Uh, but every time that the Ravens would go back up by two scores, uh, Cleveland would would jump right down the field and, and score a touchdown. And then um, Lamar Jackson uh, took, a little, took a little potty break, uh, took a little cramp break, uh, and, and the – uh, Browns got right back into the game um, and just a crazy last few minutes of back and forth touchdowns. Uh, Lamar Jackson coming back in um, on a fourth down play and scoring a, a touchdown uh, for the Ravens. Um, and then the greatest kicker of all time, of course, kicking the game winning field goal uh, with less than five seconds left. Um, and the best part of it all we got Scorigami because the Browns decided to to give themselves a, a safety at the end. So 47-42 Ravens, Scorigami. One of the most entertaining games I've seen all year. Made me stay up way too late, but totally worth it. Um, but a big game as far as, uh, you know, playoff implications go for sure. Do you think – I like to think Lamar Jackson's a pretty cool guy. Um, do you think before he ran off the field that he said, hey, guys, got to take the Browns to the Super Bowl? <laughs> I'd like to hope he did. I'd like I, to hope he did. I really got to hope he did. It, and it really doesn't matter what he says in posts. Like, I know this man has been like, nah, I'm cramping up. I got the IV. But, like, I mean, Paul Pierce had the – the thing on his leg when he came back on the court, you can, you can wrap yourself up in some, in some tape and look like you had some medical attention done to you. Um, but RG three told us the truth on Twitter. He said <laughs> the Browns lead and <laughs> Lamar finishing pooping. And that's, that's all the only confirmation I needed. Yeah. As, as someone, it never happened to me, but I had watched a friend had to leave a, a, a game, you know, like mid series 
because he couldn't hold it anymore. And then I got to watch him run all the way across the track to the field house and then realize, get there, and the field house was locked during the game. And he had to run back and grab a coach's keys and go back. He missed like a full series and a half. Oh, oh man. It's I didn't think it could happen past the high school level, but I'm, I'm glad to see that it can on, on the biggest stage during maybe the biggest game ever. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway I got from it, other than, I mean, the basic ones of the Ravens season is alive, um, which they basically had to win that game, especially given the, it was an AFC game, AFC North's out of contention, but the AFC game, they had to win it. The Browns were kind of thriving recently. Um, and that's a game they're supposed to win before the season during the season doesn't really matter that it's a must win to keep their season alive and for my Steelers it means that the Bradley we have an extra cushion um we can get to that in a second but a sputtering team that uh really needed a break um but the thing I took out of it most is that like you said earlier Justin Tucker's the greatest to ever do it um I was telling you guys uh, pre-show I looked it up and saw Justin Tucker's had hit 16 game-winning field goals in his eight years in Baltimore Averages two a two two a year at minimum, and he's probably won him at least four or five more, um, given the amount of field goals he's hit at a ninety-two and a half percent clip, the greatest percentage ever. And I don't know what he's worth to them, but I would just give him a huge contract at the end of the year just for fun. I think I think it's crazy. He missed a field goal last week, and he uh, still retained. Yeah, and he still retained. Um, the highest percentage of all time. And if that doesn't tell you just the the elite standards that Justin Tucker's set for himself um, every single time he he comes on the field, um, I mean, it's just wild. He, he truly is probably the greatest kicker of all time. His consistency uh, in his career has just been insane. Um, but let's let's get into Jonas Steelers, shall we? Uh, you know, big game for you. The Browns are now not right on your neck for the division. Um, you you've got a cushion. Um, like we talked about, the Ravens really needed that game because the AFC is way more competitive this year than the NFC is. That's just a fact. Um, but your Steelers did not have a great weekend um, on their own. Uh, and I know that's that's two two weekends in a row. So how what are your thoughts, Jonah? Well, it's the same sort of things I mentioned last week where you started to see the cracks and the issue came with how the coaching staff has really handled the season as a whole. A lot of it is really not their fault. Um, I'd say the biggest issue that really isn't their fault is that the Steelers uh, going into this game have started six linebackers and four of which hurt. Um, Vince Williams starting middle linebackers hurt and he should be uh, back next week. Actually, I think he had just said it was on the COVID watch list. Um, Devin Bush was playing at a pretty impressive level. He was one of the fastest linebackers in the league. Towards ACL against the Browns earlier in the year. Uh, Robert Spillane got hurt against Washington last week. And um, Bud Dupree, um, probably one of the premier ed ru- edge rushers, top 10, top 15 edge rusher uh, in the league towards ACL against Baltimore two weeks ago. So really the only guy you really have is TJ Watt, who is phenomenal and made plays. Um, but you have uh, a rookie, um, a guy who's only been on the team for a month and probably another rookie <laughs> playing in the linebacking core. And if you know anything about the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's about the linebacking core. It always has been. They've had some of the greatest uh, linebackers ever. Um, 
uh, former Steeler great and then Arizona Cardinal Larry Foote, uh, former Steeler great and then uh, Arizona Cardinal uh, Lamar Woodley. Um, the list goes on and on in that regard. But uh, just the whole list of names that are Hall of Famers. Um, and so that's hurt them. But the biggest issue with this team is Randy Fickner. He is the um, – He's the offensive coordinator for the Steelers. And really the sole reason he has the job is because of his relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, before him, he was preceded by Todd Haley, who is never known for being the most agreeable guy. <laughs> Constantly got in shouting matches with Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger on the sideline. So much so that they made him coach from the booth for the second half of his last season. Um, and he just, he he was so hated by so many players that whenever he left, I'm pretty sure Ben told him it has to be someone I really like or I'll just retire or something. Like, I don't know what ultimatum gave him. Ended up hiring up the quarterback's coach who just does not really have a good grip of an offense. I'm sure he's a great quarterback's coach. But when it comes to the offense, he doesn't understand the usefulness of a running back game. Um as we saw in the UNC game that you can live and die by the running game. Um, you can have a quarterback like Sam Howell that doesn't need to do anything um, because of the running game. Uh, and the Steelers, it's a scheme thing. You look at the offensive linemen, they're in two point stances. They don't have their fingers in the dirt when they're blocking for runs. And so because of that, there's no push at the line. The line is dominated by the defense almost every week. And so the, the running game never gets going. And so you have a 38 year old quarterback who I think was deservedly in some people's minds in an MVP discussion because of an 11-0 team and single-handedly carrying the offense, can't really throw it 50 times a game. Not many quarterbacks can throw it 50 times a game um, consistently. And it's just a poorly designed offense. And it's a dink and dunk offense that doesn't really get the job done. Ben hasn't been able to throw it deep, especially recently. And – these are issues that can be fixed, but I'm not sure if they will. Um, I said kind of boldly that I don't think the Steelers will win a playoff game. Um, I think that comes with the idea that they are, they've already lost the one seed and it's, it's not coming back. They will have to play in the wild card weekend. And at this rate, you mentioned how competitive the AC is probably the most competitive it's been in years. I'm not sure if they can handle um, someone like even a Miami or they might have to play the bills again or one of these teams that's just deadly um, and are really disciplined. And I think the Steelers could potentially make the Super Bowl, but I'd say it's almost more likely they're first round out, given the cracks that I'm seeing. The one lucky thing is they already clinched a playoff berth and maybe lost the one seed now and could maybe rest their starters, given the home field advantage is less important this year. Gotcha. That makes sense. On the flip side of things, my Cardinals finally turned things around, albeit against, you know, the, the New York Giants who people were like, oh, they're an up and coming team. And I'm like, eh, they're the Giants. Daniel Jones, guys. Yeah. I, so like, y yes, I'm happy. We handled things and we handled things pretty, you know, uh, pretty well. I mean, 19 point uh, victory against them. We won 26 to seven. Um, but we still had several trips in the red zone in the 10 yard line where we couldn't punch it in and score because of the same issues you're talking about. Uh, we have a great running attack as well, uh, but we run out of the shotgun a lot. Um, a lot of zone reads, a lot of getting Kyler involved, which is great. And then you get inside the 10 and 
<laughs> Kyler, Kyler ain't, ain't running over dudes. Um, and if we don't have the blocking scheme, like you said, to have um, a not great, but maybe above average running back in Kenyon Drake uh, to like run it, you know, get his, his power game going. So um, the offense is getting better. We designed a lot of plays to bring out DeAndre Hopkins um, to get him more creatively involved in the passing game. Um, Dan Arnold, our tight end, has really blossomed over the past couple of weeks, um, and he's young uh, and continuing to improve. Um, so the offense kind of getting back to its level, and the defense continues to play well despite um, being severely thin at the front seven as they have been all season. Um, you know, shout out to my boy uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, five sacks against the the Giants, which was a franchise record. Um, and he was a dude that almost was looking at being cut off the team a couple of years ago. Um, so he's really turned it around. So a good win to turn it around. We've got the Eagles next week. They looked pretty Damn. good. I mean, against the, against the Saints, um, I think that was more so the Saints, um, Taysom Hill experiment, just kind of running out. Um, but not to take them lightly, even though the Eagles aren't, aren't that great. Um, so I'd like to keep that momentum going, keep ourselves in that seven seed position, um, and not make anything too interesting because we do have to end the season with the Rams again. And I would like to be able to lose that game and not be terrified, uh, because I'm pretty sure we're going to lose that game. Uh, so an issues running the ball. So what you're saying is like, you, you disagree with the, with the decision to trade your franchise player, David Johnson, for a, a player that you need to implement into the offense, no, no, the no, Hopkins, no, no, right? I said we're having issues just like you did where we're running the ball inside the 10 yard line. I don't we can want any of our running backs on my team, so I don't know what your problem is. I about to say, I David Johnson has had, yeah, I feel bad for the guy, but he's had a terrible season. He's been hurt. I, I, I think everyone knows we won that trade. Um, but uh, speaking of winning, Adrian, you want to close our NFL uh, section out with your amazing fantasy news? Yeah, uh, you know, I'll be very quick. So I, I acutely named my team Team 2020 because it has been maybe the worst year I've ever had in fantasy. Um, everybody on my team that was significant has gotten hurt at some point. All of the people who I traded for, who were supposed to be good players, have not played well all season. Um, and I went into the playoffs against the number one team in the league this week, and I got the dub. Um, I'll probably lose this week to Turner, who also won his first round matchup. Um, but the likelihood is that I, I, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy that I was able to move past at least one round I, i've never lost the first round of the fantasy playoffs um before i've kept that streak alive um but I, you know it, it's fantasy football and i totally expect to lose next week you say you're probably gonna lose but i went four and oh in my fantasy playoffs this week and there's no way all of those teams can win again this week and so one of them or two of them or three of them are destined to fail. And I would not be surprised if you 
you, the, the aptly named Team 2020, surprised us once again uh, and went into the fantasy championship. That would sort of be a perfect description of the year, uh, or at least the, the end of this cra crazy year. Um, but I think that's enough NFL talk. Uh, let's talk about something we can all be happy about. And I think we've been itching to talk about um, this whole time. The Coastal uh, and that's US Antilliers. Shot <laughs> yes. to clear, sorry. Continue, Turner. No, I mean, if, if you listen to this podcast, you probably are a UNC fan, but if you're not, you probably saw the just absolute walloping of a Miami football program uh, this past weekend. Um, it was so funny. I was, I was listening to our episode from last week uh, before I watched the game. We talked about like, ah, we, you know, it'd be really nice to end the season with a win, but Miami's such a good team. We, you know, we can't really expect to win, but we were hopeful. And then we went out and just made them look like a peewee football team, like just absolutely broke their spirit in half. And then they decided to give up and we said too bad. There's still time left on the clock. Yeah. It reminded me of one of uh, Turner's favorite artists, actually. Um, Danny Brown has a uh, album called the atrocity exhibition. And I feel like that's what it was in the lens of a Miami fan, because it was almost vulgar watching what Michael Carter and Javante Williams were doing. I mean, I talk about records. I was freaking out. I was, I was telling my mom about it. For those that don't know, my mom um, doesn't care about sports and is from England. Um, <laughs> my, I was telling my stepdad whose favorite thing about uh, sports is nothing. Um, so we were <laughs> – maybe that I played it. We, we, we were just hamming it up talking about the records even. It's, uh, that's almost more fun than even watching the game is looking at Michael Carter and Javante Williams set an NCAA record for – was it 544 – rushing yards for a duo um michael carter second in school history with 308 rushing yards sam how the second person in ncaa history to have a rushing passing and receiving touchdown most points ever most yards ever given up by miami mac brown almost getting manny diaz fired for 150 rushing yards again <laughs> you know like it was incredible and and, and adding on to that javante getting the school record with another game to play of most touchdowns in a season, um, you know, not by not by a quarterback, obviously. Yeah, shout out um, to Bali. A yeah. stat that 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 popped out to me that kind of really I feel like sums up the just total annihilation that took place was Michael Carter had a total of 318 yards. The Miami offense has a total of 321. Yeah, yeah. it was it was his show. And the, to add on, like, one last stat to that that I, I thought you might bring up, the one that really blew my mind, because you can put, like, big numbers, lots of points. I mean, we scored 62 points. We put on a ton of yards on them. There were three drives in the game where the Tar Heels did not score, score points. One of them was a missed field goal, uh, to be expected with our special teams play this year. One of them was halftime. And one of them was the end of the game. Yeah. And so take away that missed field goal, have him make that field goal. 
the only thing that could stop the Tar Heels was themselves and the game clock. I don't know how sadistic you guys are, but I have <laughs> I have a habit of when I watch a game like that, I'll go find fan channels of the other team and like if they're doing a watch along or a review. And I just I, I there's one guy I watch because he I remembered him because shout out Coach Coop because I watched his watch along back last year because he's a Miami fan and I just wanted to see his face whenever Daz Newsom got the toe touch to win the game I just wanted to see it so I was like I, I'm a terrible person I did that last year why don't I do that again this year and I just remember him having a panic attack by the end of the first quarter and then him at near the end of the game being like. I couldn't tell you a thing about UNC's punter. I don't know his name. I don't know what his number is. I mean, he hasn't been out there, that kind of thing. And, yeah, it's insane. Just Again, just talking about more stats, I think Miami was a top 25 rushing rushing defense team, only giving up 120 rushing yards a game. And we had, I think, 554 or something like that. And just it's kind of constant of of the stream of domination – um was something i don't know if i've ever seen on that level at least not in a long time from a team that was considered overranked in unc by a lot of people because the people thought they should have fallen after losing losing to notre dame yeah pretty consistent like pretty standard loss um two scores and then miami a lot of their fans were saying well, we need to be ranked higher our only losses to maybe the best team in the country and I was like, I was almost on board with them. I still thought UNC had a good chance of winning, but they came in there on senior night. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter either the person that shared shared the picture of them coming out of the tunnel and they're all blacks. And they said, if 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 I'm UNC and I see this coming out, I would just pack up and go back on the bus. They, they were all black to their own funeral. It was yeah, right? so <laughs> yeah. And I think, and the last thing I'll say in terms of just the insanity of the different stats. It's not a stat you could directly measure, but it was the tremendous play, not at the end of the game, but from start to finish of true freshmen for UNC. You have Tony Grimes, who's supposed to be at high school at Princess mm-hmm. Anne right now. He got an interception, which may have been PI, but it was a phenomenal effort, you know, and I, more stats. Him and I think it was um, uh, Taylor tweeted out that Tyler McMichael and Tony Grimes were targeted only six times in that game and they gave up one catch for two yards two bass breakups and an interception that's all Kyler McMichael and Tony Grimes gave up in that game (laughs) and Tony Grimes true freshman Kyler McMichael is only is the first year in the program after transferring in from Clemson Jaquarius Conley was phenomenal in the first quarter true freshman I think one probably the coolest name on the team, uh, uh, Sub Zero. I mean that he is phenomenal. Uh, Desmond Evans made a couple of plays. Clyde Pinder made a couple of plays. Both true freshmen. Um, I thought it was kind of beautiful. That what sealed the game was a first down by Elijah Green, true freshman. Um, and then players you didn't even see, like Chaffee Brown, Diami's younger brother, is a redshirt freshman. Uh, Josh Downs is a true freshman. You have all these players that were in the game making legitimate plays on both sides of the ball, specifically on defense with two starters in the secondary. And when you look at the idea that – I don't know if Patrice will be back um, 
after getting injured again. He might he might be though because he this year doesn't count towards eligibility. But you think of the development of the secondary. Don Chapman's a true sophomore. You have Trey Morrison's going to be back for his senior year. Tony Grimes will be a true sophomore, really a true freshman again. Um, Storm Duck is a true sophomore, hasn't played all year pretty much. Um, and then you have a few more cats coming in. Like the shore probably losing both Javante Williams and Michael Carter. But this team is legit and is going to be legit for the next four plus years. Not even just this particular team, but moving forward, especially with signing day tomorrow, the best class we've had in over a decade. Yeah, and I mean, before we kind of shouts out to Mac Brown um, for the future of this program and, and how bright it looks, let's also give a shout out to the offensive line um, for UNC that they're kind of the unsung heroes um, from from this past weekend, and and Michael Carter made sure to give them a big shout out. Um, it was really funny. I, I, I don't know if y'all were watching the post-game interview like once the game had finished, um, but Michael Carter was in the middle of his interview with, with uh, ESPN or whoever um, he was talking to, Maria Taylor. Um, and he, he stopped. He asked if he could stop the interview real quick just so he could go take a, a photo with the offensive line, which I thought was an awesome moment. Oh, yeah. And that's something like, except for the worst egos, um, and running backs, which we have already talked about on this podcast. Michael Carter has one of the best egos um, in college football. Absolutely. Running backs know they aren't anything without their line. And those running backs know that they are in Heisman consideration. They're not going to win it, but people are talking about them at the highest stage. Michael Carter's draft stock maybe went from a seventh round to undrafted pick this year to maybe day one, maybe, or day two, probably the latest. He's probably... Or not day one. So day two at the, at the earliest probably. But, like, he went from maybe a seventh-round pick to a third, fourth-round pick. Like, yep. that's immense. Not on top of school records and things like that. It's going to give him a lot of money. Javante yep. Williams probably a second-round pick now. And, yes, are they phenomenal running backs? Yes, if Javante Williams had broken one more tackle, it would have been the greatest run I've seen in college football history. Oh, my um, God. Oh, I, he didn't, I think he's just tired. I think he just got tired at the end of that. I run. think that's. I remember that my my roommate was actually like, I don't think she was doing something like super important, but she was like, uh, in like a casual meeting with with some people during the game, uh, and it wasn't super close. It wasn't like I was yelling, but when he just absolutely annihilated that man and turned him into dust as he hit the ground. I like I yelled because I was just so shocked that um, another person could do that to like another human. I just I was so dumbfounded that this man just went around like a bowling ball and like pinballed down the field and then just got tired and eventually kind of slipped over his own blocker. Not to mention that number five is one of the hardest hitters on the team. Yep. That's not even a joke. He's one of their leading tacklers. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't Javante just made him look like a child. I in order to make myself happy, that's my that's my new background. <laughs> that's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. But before last thing I think I'll say about the game before we start talking about the future and sort of you know immediate future and then long-term future, uh, back to the offensive line. I mean, you if you watch you go back and watch half of the big play runs, 
the running backs had wide open space and didn't have to juke or run over anybody until they were like 15 yards up the field. It was the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Like it, it was the most casual, like, all right, I'm going to run for 15 yards. Mm-hmm. And I thought now I have to make a play. Well, and what's crazy is Javante Williams came into the game as one of, if not still the leader in broken tackles. And yep. that gets a lot easier when you're untouched after 15 yards and you have a full head of steam. Like it's and insanity what, that you could drive a truck through a lot of those holes. I mean, if what, you looked at the, at like, if you looked at the replays, of just watching Devontae Williams like run through the line or Michael Carter you just have like the Red Sea part and and those two two backs just like at least get 15 yards half the time it was like 20 to 25 before they even got like near somebody it's just incredible and it killed me too because we ran that counter play like 15 times and every single time I bit the other (laughs) and every single time we got at least 20 yards it's it's one of those things and because i'm such a, a huge fan of lyman like one of my favorite things about mike Tarico, he always shouts out lyman and his broadcast it's a little ridiculous i'm gonna go ahead and name drop him Asim richards starting left tackle um uh joshua zudu maybe the most versatile player on that offensive line he can play any position um brian anderson who was in and out of the game with injuries but great center uh, Marcus McKeithen, um, enormous guard. I think he's six, six and a half, 320 as a right guard or something like that. Uh, and then Jordan Tucker, who I think is also like six, seven, 320. Um, and um, even Ed Montalus, I know, got in that game. He's kind of this, this six rotation guy in that line. Um, shout out to all those guys, phenomenal ball players. And you know what? None of them are seniors. They'll all be back. So amazing amazing well well quickly before we go into the long-term future what what is in our short term and how does this help us short term i know um orange bowl has sort of been thrown around and i think the college football rankings come out today right uh yeah i believe they come out today um basically what it means is we're all clemson fans uh for the weekend uh because basically what it means is the orange bowl goes to the highest ranked ACC team that isn't in the college football playoff this year and the highest ranked either SEC or I think big Big 10, big 10 team. And so that again is not in the college football playoff this year. We could see a rarity in the ACC and see two ACC teams uh, in the college football playoff with Notre Dame being undefeated and number two in the country and already beating Clemson and then Clemson at number three. If Clemson wins that game and everything else goes as we project, Clemson will go to number two, and most people think Notre Dame will fall to four and still make the college football playoff. And though the ACC standings actually have Miami at three, after that utter annihilation, UNC will hop them, and because it's ranking, it's not um, seeding. UNC will then slide in and play the Orange Bowl, most likely against a team like Texas A&M. I mean, that's that's a New Year's Six Bowl, and that's that's a huge stage for us. I mean, it already was a huge stage for us blowing out Miami um, this past Saturday. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely all Clemson fans. Also, I think we already would have been Clemson fans just for the sheer fact that I don't think any of us like that Notre Dame gets to just waltz into the ACC and, and use it you know, for its own benefit. But beyond that, uh, where, where does, 
you know, we might win that game. We might get walloped in that game. I know Jenna was talking about that earlier. Um, but where does that put us for the future of this program? Because uh, I think that the more casual fan would go, we're losing. We might be losing some receivers. We might be losing the this the probably the most insane running back duo Carolina will ever see. Can this team actually improve next year? You know, we're losing Chaz Surratt, who's been this great story. Um, can this team get better next year? And I, I think the answer that we all know is 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 yes. But um, I think how how do we do that? Adrian, why don't you take that first? Um, well, I think the number one thing that that is going to kind of lead this program forward um, is, I mean, you, Jonah's going to talk about all the little, the, all the other pieces, all of the the people that nobody think about, but the obvious answer is is Sam Howell. Um, will Sam Howell progress next year? Because this year he had the benefit of having maybe the best uh, running back duo that that UNC has ever seen. Um, but next year he's going to be the guy like that's going to be his offense. He's not going to have Michael Carter or likely won't have Michael Carter or Javante Williams uh, back there to, to help support him. Um, So if Sam Howell takes another leap, if he becomes maybe the number one quarterback in the country next year, um, then I think the program as, as kind of like a, a national um, entity as a, a team that uh, nationally gets some recognition um, is going to take a stride forward and our recruiting classes are going to continue improving. Jonah, take it away. Yeah, I think um, what I can answer to is the particulars of the roster. Um, I think the biggest question mark absolutely will be running back. Um, in all likelihood, Javante Williams sh- will and should deservedly go to the NFL draft. Um, I think he needs to get his bag. He's a local North Carolina boy. I would, it would, nothing would make me happier to see his name called on draft night. Um, Same thing with Michael Carter, but he's also a senior, but that's an interesting thing for this year. Seniors don't have to leave. Uh, That's why you see the likes of Bo Corrales, red shirt or not, Bo Corrales will most likely be back. Um, And um, in terms of the receiving core, you have a ton of talent that wasn't really able to play this year. Antoine Green, uh, coaches have been high on him. They've liked him almost as much as Dayami early on, but Dayami just has that big playability, and I think he has the swagger of one of the best players in the country. Um, you lose into Daz Newsom, and Dayami, again, we're, saying, we're assuming Javante and Dayami Brown are going to leave. Again, they should, but we saw what happened at Clemson. Travis Etienne came back. There is no reason whatsoever Travis Etienne should have been back. It might have upped his draft stock to maybe a first-round pick, but he was runner-up for ACC Player of the Year. Um, he's phenomenal. But you also have Emory Simmons. You have Choffrey Brown, Yami's younger brother. Um, you have Josh Downs, true freshman this year, expected to take an enormous leap up. You also got the likes of Ray Rose and a few of these other freshmen that are coming in. But I think with those those three and Bo Corrales, oh, and Toe Gross, most likely. Um, that's a good receiving core. It's not as good as this year, but it's pretty dang good. And it might be actually a little more versatile in a year in which, as Adrian mentioned, Sam Howe, this is his chance at a Heisman. That's it. I yep. mean, he's not getting it this year. Nowhere close. Um, he had bad games. And the running backs honestly have been too good. The running backs have hurt themselves even. They're so good that they take away from each other's shine. 
Javante Williams was by himself, he would be Heisman. Most likely. He'd probably have 30 touchdowns and 1,800 yards. Um, And I think you mentioned the other biggest loss is Chaz Surratt. And the answer to that is overwhelmingly one man, and he is expected to make an enormous step up coming from the coaching staff themselves, and that's Eugene, Eugene Asante, number seven, middle linebacker. Great athlete. They love the kid, and they specifically have have made Chaz play at different positions, more of a rushing type. That's why you see him blitzing a little more, so Eugene can get in the game. He's that good, and I think he has a chance to be on Chaz Surratt's level, um, maybe last year's level. He'll be, I believe, a junior, uh, his true sophomore. Um, and then he also, I think the thing that you that'll be most improved is the defensive line. You get the entire defensive line back. Tamari Fox, um, who is probably going to be the best, maybe the best player on the defense next year. Tamari's nasty. True, true, um, true sophomore. They lose his brother, Tamon. Ray Vosick's going to be back. Um, you also got the likes of Clyde Pender, Desmond Evans that are true freshmen. Um, and linebackers, like I mentioned, Eugene Asante, but you also got uh, Jeremiah Gimmel who is the signal caller for the defense. People try to seem to forget about him, but he's maybe more important than Chaz in terms of the cohesiveness of that unit. And he, what what year is he? Because I, I almost kind of assumed he, he's a junior. I believe so. Um, yeah, Jeremiah Gimmel is a junior, so he'll be back. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so there's, there's probably not a big chance he leaves in the draft. No, I wouldn't expect so. He, he's, he needs, he's more of a college player and has a chance to be a late-round pick after a senior year. Chaz has overshadowed him. Um, I don't think he's as near the athlete. That's what makes Chaz so unique. He is a phenomenal athlete, and that can make up for his lack of instinct at times because he's only played the position for two years. Because even in high school, he wasn't playing linebacker most of the time. He was right, right, right. Um, and then the chance for the most dominant improvement, I think the defensive line has a chance to be the most improved unit. A team that we could see jump from – average to mediocre to maybe the best unit in the ACC is the secondary. Don Chapman is a true sophomore and was forced into starting reps at safety. Trey Morrison will be back and he can naturally play either nickelback or free safety at his will. Jaquarius Conley, who I can't say enough about is, has a chance to be like um, Jabril Peppers. I think he's six foot two twenty and wow. runs a four. I mean, that's, that's, four a, that's a heck five. of a comparison. He's already but, one of our biggest playmakers, and he's a true sophomore, or true freshman. And they said this class that came in, there's a chance that you got two All-Americans, Jaquarius Conley and Tony Grimes, who we have already spouted enough about. Yep. Tony Grimes, phenomenal, and should not be in college. So with <laughs> next year being his freshman year almost, um, I think he might be one of the best cornerbacks in the ACC. Um Storm Duck was supposed to be all conference this year, and he hasn't paired he played. And Kyler McMichael's back. He's a, he's a redshirt sophomore. I I can't wait for that secondary. I'm really excited about it's that. It's loaded. It, it it's, I think it has the chance to be the best secondary in the ACC next year. I think yeah. I think it's it's more difficult to to see the players that don't get as much playing time based on who's good right now. Um, you're right. Running backs the biggest question mark. But if all those other position groups can take a leap and Sam can put on a Heisman campaign, we absolutely can be better. 
Um, and really, I mean, the biggest thing I want out of next year, the biggest growth I want to see is we 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 just got to get rid of these Virginia and Florida State games. We got to win the games. We got we to win the games that we're supposed to. Um, I'm sure we'll make one or two of them a nail biter and closer than it should be, but which college team other than Clemson or Bama doesn't. Um, and, but we win those games. We have a, a season with one or two losses. That's a big improvement, especially if you, if you consider, you know, what we're, what we're losing in the transition we're making. I was talking to you guys before the show, I would be, honestly surprised if UNC doesn't at least push if not make the college football playoff in the next four years um, whether that be next year um, depending on the play of running backs and the development of the young players and high and Sam Howe if he can actually have a Heisman year he could get us there because I mean there's nothing really stopping us who's gonna stop Miami um, <laughs> um, but uh, when we say that we're going to lose them next year uh, but Notre Dame will most likely be out of the ACC and if you can beat Clemson that's cut you have one domino and everything else is really just a consistency and if you can't hit that then you don't deserve to be in it but I think they have the potential to be college football playoff next year if not next year I think in three years or so I cannot imagine if we manage to get COVID under control, what that stadium is going to be like next year, if they manage to get it going at full capacity. I plan on going back. If, uh, if it's if, available, it's. If it's available, it's safe. I, I cannot wait to see that stadium packed again, because you know it will be for the season opener next year if, if full capacity is allowed. We sold um, out every that, game of a six and six regular season. Right. And if we're, you know, Sam for Heisman season. I can't even imagine. I might not be able to afford tickets. <laughs> like, I'll get a seriously. Um, but that's not football talk. Yesterday. We'll be all right. We'll just <laughs> that's let, let's, football. yeah, let's do a little flashed round um, of NBA action before we have to have to hop off. Um, uh, yeah. Jonah, I'll, I'll let you kind of start with, with the Giannis Supermax that was just signed, uh, five year extension. Uh, 223 million, um, I yeah. believe. I will Incredible. Say it wasn't necessarily surprising, but I think it might be the most important contract in the NBA right now. Um, I wouldn't say it's the biggest free agent signing. Well, one, he wasn't a free agent, and you'd probably say something like, like LeBron to LA. But in terms of what it means to the NBA, it means that he wants to win in Milwaukee, little old Milwaukee, Wisconsin known for their beer more than anything and bad baseball. And they have a chance <laughs> to be a powerhouse and legitimately they should make the NBA finals next year. If all goes right, they are the best team in the East on, on paper. They are. And they have the best player in the NBA on his best day. He is a two time MVP and he wants to be there. He's 26. He's not even really in his prime yet. And it shows that a small market team can build true success. We saw it in Denver and we're wondering, can they hold? We saw it in Milwaukee. Can they hold? They are. And they're made, they're going to be better. And he is worth way more than the NBA is worth paying. Allowing him be, to be paid. He's yep. on that Pat Mahomes, $500 million contract level. Like if not more because of what he means to the league and he they, they that means an 
a small market team has the next face of the league wrapped up for the next five years. And even if he decides to leave, like I said, the Paul George thing, we just said before the show, even if he decides to leave, there's no team that has the assets to pay to trade for him, except for maybe Orlando, not Orlando, uh, Oklahoma city. If they traded every first round pick they have from yep. their summer, summer shopping last six years or whatever, <laughs> it would take no less than 10 first round picks. Like it's insane. What Milwaukee have done. And that they managed to convince Giannis to stay, um, I think it could be historic when we look back at it. I I absolutely agree, and and I mean I know that I'm a fan of probably the biggest big market team there is in the league, and I I am so so happy about this this extension because I love my Lakers. I love you know, facing those big names and, and, and things like that. Um, but the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks, the more like I, that is blowing my mind, Milwaukee, like who, who wants to go to Milwaukee? Uh, but Giannis know. is, well, now Giannis <laughs> is going to bring people to that city. He's going to make, he's going to open an avenue, like you said, for those small market teams to latch on to that star player. And I think that's great for the NBA because, I mean, let, let's face it, the, the Lakers of the NBA are always going to be able to sign the big free agent, and sometimes it doesn't work out for them, and sometimes it does. But they're always going to be able to s- sign someone who will, who will keep them competitive or build, you know, to be competitive. They're going to be able to do that. Um, but it, the NBA is so much better when you have these small market teams kind of sticking it to these these Lakers of the world. Um, and yeah, of course, I hope that he makes the finals and my Lakers, you know, beat him. But I, I'm just so happy for that guy. Um, and and for the league as a whole, um, it's really going to put the future of the league in, in a great place. Um, Adrian, your, your thoughts as a yeah. fellow small uh, fan? Yeah, well, first off, uh, for all of that talk where you were just like, I'm all about this for the love of the league. And then you follow that up with, but I still hope the Lakers win the title. That is well, so hypocritical. That? I know, but I'm just, I'm just like, yeah. This was the only year that people were happy the Lakers won the title. And it was yeah. for one man and not because of the Lakers. Yep. I, I understand you're a Lakers fan. I'm just letting you know that statement is highly hypocritical. I would just say so mute your mic, but you haven't even gotten one yet. <laughs> Look, look, it's, it's team before man. What can I say? So so I have a couple things that I want to bring up that I think is really cool about this. Um, obviously, it can't be uh, overstated how cool this is for small market teams. Um, I think, and, and obviously I'm a little biased here, but I think what Sam Presti did with Oklahoma City and, and getting Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, um, and having those big name players for an extended amount of time. He didn't end up keeping any of them um, for their whole career, but it was kind of after what happened with uh, LeBron going to Miami, um, there was kind of a shift in the league where superstars kind of wanted to team up. Um, That was kind of the, the league goal is, is everyone wanted a ring and everyone wanted to kind of find ways to make getting a ring easier. Um, And I think what, this Giannis signing does is it allows small market teams to kind of have the confidence that they can keep 
big name players like a Giannis, who is going to be the face of the league, like Joda said, I think for the next at least six years. Maybe Luka. Um, maybe Luca's going to challenge. I think what's going to be really cool is I think they're going to kind of be head to head for the it's next six a years. Lot of Americans mad. It's great. <laughs> well, and, and that was the second point that I was getting to. I think it's really, really cool that not only is is Giannis signing with a small market team, but he's also a foreign player. Um, I think that the fact that the next face of the league is going to be a foreign player is really big for the NBA in terms of their global marketing um, and in terms of expanding, continuing to expand basketball um, as a global game, um, as a game that anyone can play um, across the world. Uh, I, I think this Giannis signing, like Jonah said, we it, it's huge um, just because he's not going to Golden State and he's not going to any team like that. Um, just And that, that's just in the now. But look, moving forward, um, when we look back at this signing, I think it could be one of the biggest signings um, in recent history. We'll have to look back at this too. I think it was something we need to visit as a podcast is looking into – the love I would have for seeing the Spanish league or one of these other divisions to become a legit contender. And I know they're good leagues, but I mean, getting closer to the level that the NBA is at, not necessarily to rival it because I don't know if that'll ever happen at this, at this rate. But um, as someone who enjoys a mini sports, namely football or soccer, um, the beauty of like having a European league, basically, where it's it's the Champions League, where you get the best teams across eight different divisions playing each other, and they get to do- dominate supremacy. They don't play each other regular season, just one cup run. What if we got to see the Miami Heat go up against Real Madrid, um, and Luca's old team, or something like that? Like, I would love that, and we should definitely revisit that. Um, last thing I, I will say about the blocks is they deserve it. They're they're an awesome team yep. to support. Um, they're cool. They, they, got, they got cool kind of everything going on there. They're very laid back. Um, one of the, some of the best uniforms in the league. Might yep. be my favorite uniforms in the league. I love um, the cream uniforms. The cream in the forest green. Also yep. the best like logo in the league. Have you ever looked at their logo? I have actually. I, I quite yeah. like their logo. Because you got the basketball yep. and the mm-hmm. antlers. And then you got the M. And It's like, really creative. It's uh, really creative. I love the Bucks, and I'm so excited. And I'm I really hope they can win it with this team. I don't really want them to have to have another star because if they can win it with yep. him, Chris Middleton, and Drew being a pseudo big three, that would be amazing for the league. And and, and I think not only that, Giannis, Drew, um, Chris, those are maybe three of the most likable. Mm-hmm not only like players, but human beings in the NBA. Or they could like just trade Drew, DiVincenzo, and Lopez for James <laughs> Harden and a few picks and just be insufferable all of a sudden. It's up to them. No, that, that that's, that's, seems like that's only going to be either Brooklyn um, or Philly if James Harden's going anywhere. What like do you that. think about uh, your the, the Ben Simmons – uh, and and James Harden trade rumors. I think this deserves a lot more time than we have left, but I, I think the Rockets 
are both valuing and undervaluing. I think they're valuing Ben Simmons at a, at a premium, yet they're trying to undersell it. They're like, oh, we want Ben Simmons over Joel and Bede, but oh, we also need four first round picks. It's like mm, you picked your guy, and but you also need every <laughs> asset. Like that seems a little counterintuitive to me. Um, I think they know who they want on that roster, um, but are willing to have a pissed off James Harden sit on their bench and score thirty without trying, and just show up to half the practices. Like I just don't think they're doing business very well. I think they should have gotten this done a lot earlier because we're getting dangerously close to the start of the season and it's really toxic there. And everyone's just kind of laughing at them and and sure they have the cards in their hand, but I don't see it ending well for, but for Ben Simmons, I would hate it personally because I don't want to have to root for Houston. Um, It sucks. You were there last year. It's the worst. Um, I would fit because I am real good at being insufferable when I want to be um so it would work but it would suck and i don't think it would do ben's justice i don't think it would do i don't think i don't think it'd be a good fit for the philly if i'm being honest um because tarden's more of a scorer than he is a facilitator and it really feels like they're building that team around ben with the shooters they've got and drafted it doesn't really make any sense to do that and then bring in harden and have joel Embiid. that just doesn't that works almost as well as ben and Embiid to me so I don't know. Turner, I think this is more time. Though. Yeah. Turner, do you got any thoughts before we kind of close it out? Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I feel like the, the closer we get to the start of the season and the, the more focus there will be on Harden as he enters his first preseason game and as, as he enters, maybe, wait, maybe he doesn't play, I don't know, uh, his first regular season game. I think Houston's going to lose – some of their their bargaining chips because teams are going to realize that Harden is just going to got to mull around and not do much unless he's traded and they might be able to use that to their advantage in, in dealing with Houston and Houston's not going to you know recoup uh, all all the value that they could get for Harden. Um, I don't think it's a good fit, like you said, Jonah, for the for the Seventy um, Sixers. Maybe KD gets you know too fed up with Kyrie trying to post dudes up seven times a game. Um, but, and they trade with the Nets. Maybe that's we go a good see thing. about that though. We go see about yeah, that. We go, we go see about that yeah. <laughs> as, as Katie would say. Uh, but I just, there's not a great fit for him that can land that contract. And so I just think the path that we're on is going to be a miserable se- season in Houston where like, John Wall and Boogie are trying to have a good time and we like that, but then there's just this weird Harden controversy and Houston deserves it, but John John and uh, Boogie don't. Um, but it's just going to be a whole mess that I think just doesn't actually get resolved ever. Um, that's sort of how I think about it. Um, but that's all I got about the NBA. Um, y'all want to say anything else? Well, yeah. I, I think next week we're going to have a very basketball-heavy episode because – um the nba is back on the 22nd um and we haven't yet talked about carolina basketball um and and we're kind of starting to get into the season we're almost to conference play now um so there's going to be a lot of basketball talked next episode um but for now i guess unless you guys have any more thoughts we can kind of shut it down
Yeah, the last thing I'll say is that um, I shouted out one of Turner's favorite projects earlier, um, but I actually surprisingly knew about that when they came out a few years ago. One he gave me out, uh, got me onto this week. Um, I don't know. He must have got onto it late himself. I mean, as you can tell by how hip he is with his um, hoodie um, and uh, his voice, um, he's probably very much into abstract hip hop and um, really artfully spoken word kind of things with uh, personal production. So um, he got me into the new uh, Koreatown Oddity record. Um, Dominique's uh, Little Dominique's Nosebleed. Phenomenal abstract hip hop. Um, came out in June of this year. So shout out Turner never never stops with the recommendations i never, never sleeps just just like this podcast we got a double whammy of the uh of the music recommendations today so you're, y'all, you're, y'all you're are a powerful guy what can i say <laughs> yeah all right y'all with that that's gonna be it from us here thanks for listening to us you can find us as always on twitter at flight underscore pod um and you know, we'll see you next week and stay safe out there.